Hi, and welcome to Rico's Cafe, episode 27, Deep Tech and Down Tempo Beats, brought to you by me, DJ Inc. This episode, I'm super excited to bring you a very special guest who holds a space in a very important era of music for me, as well as being a contributing figure to a huge era of progressive house and trance. My guest today brings over two decades of production, DJing, and clubbing experience from a seminal time in London clubbing. He's traveled all over the globe as a DJ. He's opened for Sasha and Digweed's Northern Exposure Nights. He was a long-running resident at Bedrock, opening for John Digweed. Records on Digweed's Bedrock label, appearances on the legendary Global Underground compilations, radio shows currently for Frisky Radio and The Goat Shed, and now a new double LP out. I could not be more honored to have him here with a special episode of Rico's Cafe. Please welcome Phil Moonface Thompson. Phil, welcome to Rico's Cafe. How are you? Hello, not too bad. Thank you very much for having me, and uh, yeah, thanks for the interest. Uh, well, I'm really glad to have you here, and your Moonface records were certainly an inspiration for me and, and part of my collection and, and sets uh, from the early days. And when I reached yeah. out, I was kind of blown away that that you were interested in doing this small little show for me. And as it turns out, you've had some big news in the works. So yeah. tell us a little bit about the album and how long were you working on it, and kind of what were your inspirations and what can we expect sonically from it? Yeah, well, the, the album came about kind of because of the lockdown really i was off for two months work but you know had my own business and we had to shut and at first i was really anxious and nervous about the whole thing and then eventually after the sort of third week the fourth week off i kind of got into my you know home groove just chilling out bike riding just enjoying the time and suddenly thought i haven't had a chance to get in the studio i I wasn't in the mood for making any music at all the whole time right before the end i think about the last week or the week before i was going back to work and opening up my business I suddenly thought hold on a minute I'm gonna start going through all my folders and and I'm just gonna start putting aside the tracks that are finished or nearly finished or need some work or need arrangement you know it's so easy to get a 16 bar loop on the go and then get bored and then start something else it's a very common producer problem and it's very hard to finish the tracks and um, I did want to kind of get an album together i didn't know what style it was going to be or what how it was going to sound i just thought i'm going to start tidying up my half finished tracks so that's what i did and before i knew it i had about 30 tracks you know and they were all weird and wonderful and not really gelling that well and then over the space of the next sort of um couple of weeks I just kind of tidied everything up and then sat on it for a bit. Um, but uh, some of them are new tracks. Some of them are really old tracks, like maybe 15 years old. Some of the chill out ones. Um, some of them are, uh, are more recent, you know, like um, No Matter is recent. A Picture This is re- more recent. Um, then I put them in iTunes and I was trying to get the flow right, you know, as in what what works with what. I, I kind of was really ruthless and thought I'm going to then limit the tracks, which are work but not quite work you know when you work on a mix and you have a weird track that you really love but it just doesn't fit in with the rest of them and i ended up coming up with this eight track for chill out eight track for dance floor and uh, and then i sat on it for a while i think i sent it to digweed but i didn't hear anything back from him and then i came across the band camp you know um idea and thought you know what i'm gonna go for it and here i am (laughs) so i have to say i was pretty blown away listening to it uh i particularly love the chill disc um and something i noticed is that you tend to use a lot of vocal samples in this album and 
that's something I've always been drawn to. Uh, I layered them into my sets and, and I just like tracks with them. So what are your inspiration for those? I see. I mean, I grew up listening to all kinds of music. I was into drum and bass, uh, chill out, cold cut. So I was always influenced by lots of different styles of music and my CD collection it covers all kinds of stuff. And I always loved spoken word, um, clips from news, uh, you know, just anything that kind of created an atmosphere for that track. And and um, there was a time when I used to just keep the, the video VHS recorder in the, the player on a, and I've got loads of them up in the attic, uh, loads of um, clips where I would just press record on the, on the uh, video recorder and just record bits of news anything so I've always collected that kind of footage let's say and sometimes when I'm working on a track and I'm looking for inspiration I might go to the folder where there is audio clips or whatever and I just chuck things on I literally just chuck them on there and if it doesn't work then I'll find something else and you know anything really goes and uh, I've just always been that way I always think a track should start somewhere and end somewhere yeah. rather than just start on a beat and you know a vocal little intro or some weird chatting or something it was was kind of my, like how i always started any any track that i was working on so so yeah that's just what i've been into for years we obviously have a lot of the same sort of early influences i think because i as you said i listen to a lot of different stuff as well and yeah. cold cut was one of my favorite yeah. Uh, most important albums that 60 minutes of madness and yeah i always love spoken word um you know one some of my first tracks i made i would hunt for acapellas just to put over the top of the beats you yeah know? And, and so yeah i think that's just always been my style sometimes i make them myself like in this album i've i've got uh, a little vogue a roland um, voice uh, coder thing which you can change the pitch of and that and I and I just spoke into the headphones instead of the microphone to create that kind of um, dirty sound. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sort of on that topic, I noticed another thing about the, the LP and, and several of the samples or the sounds almost sound like modernized versions of your your older productions. And, you know, was that intentional? Did you carry forward anything or was it just more of your sound? I think there is like a an Indian chanting which I've used in a, a, a bedrock track, I think, the beginning of it, I think, and I used the same uh, intro on one of the chill out tracks as well. So, so yeah, so there are certain things that maybe have crossed, but not intentionally, you know, it's just, yeah. I, I've either used them again or, you know, just thrown it in there and decided it, it worked. <laughs> I, I think maybe something in After the Dance had something. Yeah, After the Dance is pretty much all original. Um, but um, but the breakdown, and I love telling this story, has the little clipped, chopped up bit of uh, like classical piano. Mm -hmm. you know, the, the little, there's like a moment in the crazy breakdown, the electronic groove referenced me to, to Aphex Twin in that oh, breakdown. Yeah. And I was like, fucking hell, Aphex <laughs> Twin. Just to be, you know, compared to him, who's an absolute musical legend, was just amazing. So in that after the dance, there's a little... A piano clip and that's actually my wife's cousin who passed only about a few months ago and he never actually got to hear it finished he, he was a, only a young guy 33-ish I think something like that or 35 and he was an absolutely amazing classic pianoist and he sent me like a few mp3s of some of his music and said 
you can use it, do whatever you want with it. You know, and I said, well, I'm just interested in small bits. I might take a little bit of this and then I'll add to it. And, and that's what I did. You know, I just wanted to throw in this piano, chop it up, then bring all this other vocal stuff in and then kick the track back off again. So, so yeah, so he's he's in spirit now and probably that's smiling brilliant. away. He didn't like electronic music at all. <laughs> so. Well, that's kind of cool that, you know, yeah. to show a way that it can be integrated and, and yeah, exactly. uh, in a respectful way. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So you and I were kind of chatting on Facebook one day and, you know, you said you were self-releasing your album on Bandcamp and had kind of joked about, you know, you could barely buy a pint from what you get in royalties on a lot of the other platforms. So... I don't think people really realize how hard it is for independent artists today to make a living, especially without the touring element. Am I correct in saying when a consumer buys a song or an album, generally speaking, that's kind of split between the label distributing, marketing the release, the platform where it's being sold and the artist. Is that right? Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. And you don't get any of your money until everything is paid for. And download sales are barely anything these days. You know, I think you only need 40 to 50 sales to get in the Beatport top 10 or something like that. I mean, I don't really know the exact figures, but they're pretty low. Do you know what I mean? As in when you see a DJ saying, oh, I'm in the top 100, they've sold maybe 30 tracks, you know, to get in the top 100. <laughs> I'm just fed up with all of that, you know, just, you know, I actually gave up a number of times in the last 10 years because of how unmotivated I was and how unrewarding it was, you know, so, so now I kind of feel like I've got things back within my power and, you know, I've already made some good money in the first month of being on Bandcamp, you know, so made more money than I have out of any of the other labels that I've been on in like 10 years, in the last 10 years, you know, so it's just crazy. That's unbelievable. And and to see that artists are sort of at the bottom of that totem pole when they're the ones doing the creating. Exactly. And the the thing is, if they, if the label pays for someone to have a remix done of your track, you actually pay for that out of your own money, you know, so, so let's say it's $500 for this ex, whatever DJ producer to, to do it. He gets his 500 quid and you still have to pay off the 500 quid before you get anything. So you end up getting nothing. Do you know what I mean? So wow. and not often that can be out of your hands. <laughs> Are platforms like Mixcloud or Bandcamp where both claim to ensure that more money goes back to the artist? Are they really making a dent then? Um, I would say Bandcamp, especially since the lockdown, people, even me, I just viewed Bandcamp as like another shop. But then, then I started to realize, hold on, they, they pay 85% of whatever is sold directly into your PayPal account. So I realized that even if I sold just one copy of my album, I would have more money than I have done for say 2000 downloads, you know, of a bedrock release, you know? So I thought, you know, why not do it? You know, it just makes sense. And this is why I've gone exclusive as well. It's not on Spotify. It's not on Beatport. It's not on TrackSource. It is exclusive to Bandcamp. I don't know if it's the right thing to do. Some people think I'm crazy, but I just think, you know, if, if you're a fan and you want to support me, this is the platform that I've chosen at the moment to release my music on. And actually the money comes straight to me. It's just so rewarding. You know, it's like taking out all of the middlemen and now I'm directly working with my fans, you know, the people who like my music, the way forward. And you know, once I've now got my music 
done, you know, I can make a track and I can then put it up there for sale straight away. You know, I don't have to wait for the label to approve it, the label to decide when they're going to sell it and what else they're going to put in front of the sale. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's just, it had to happen at some point. It's weird how it took me so long to kind of break the mold, <laughs> you know. Well, it's cool that, that it's headed in the right direction. You know, this all kind of really underscores the importance of touring and gigs for bands and musicians if they if they want to make a living. So, you know, how important was that to you? It, you? You know, you're in the UK and we've all sort of had these different experiences over the past year with COVID and uh, the lockdown. And I know leaders in the UK were saying artists and DJs and public entertainers should retrain and and. No, it's, I'm, I'm lucky that I've, I'm not in that needing a gig position because I have my own business. So I still do the odd gig here and there, um, but I don't need to do the gigs. So gig wise, that didn't really affect me, uh, which is, makes me in a very comfortable position musically. You know, I don't have to make music for a particular dance floor or a particular DJ. Or I, I'm free, basically. <laughs> you know, yeah, so. that's great. And it's taken me a long time to get that safe place, you know, so, and obviously, you know, I still have the passion for it. I still had all the equipment. There's still times that I just love making music, you know, so, so when they were saying you need to retrain and everything, I, I didn't really apply to me. <laughs> Whether you know, I was full-time DJing around the world. Basically for 10 years, I, I worked towards being what I consider a professional DJ, when you can give up your job and you can just do gigs and just make music. As soon as I got to that place, the first two years were like in, in a, a starry-eyed, you know, meeting all these DJs, flying to all these exotic places, and it was absolutely awesome. And so to around 2002, which is when the, all the digital uh, stuff started to happen, I was in a really, really awesome place. But then over the next three years, everything just fell apart. I, I didn't like the fact that um, I was traveling everywhere. Uh, I, I, I actually started to hate traveling. I hated hotels. I hated even parties, you know. There comes a point when you're a professional DJ when you stop drinking, you know, you don't because the hangover is just too much to travel home with, you know. So, right. and, and it becomes much more of a job. So, so basically, I I worked really hard to get to that place. I, when I got to that place, I was like in the golden age of dance music, and then the, all the digital stuff started to happen, and sales were dropping off. You know, anything physical was just not being bought. And within two or three years, I, I basically hated everything to do with dance music, the world and parties. And, and I just came back to my normal job. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, and then at first I, I was in a really low place. Um, but I, I just loved some kind of normality, you know, getting up at a normal time, eating at a normal time, not rushing away. And, and then I gradually slowed down the gigs until the point where I just did things that I liked, you know, or I just, over the years, I've got more and more comfortable with, with uh, the balance of, of everything. <laughs> Grow older, I think. <laughs> yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize what a grueling bit being a professional touring DJ uh, is. I mean... And I just got fed up with all of that, you know, just... I, re I remember not seeing any of my friends, not getting invited to any birthday parties, you know, no <laughs> family, and you, you just become isolated from everybody and just you're in the in the DJ system. That's it. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think you have to be made in a certain way to be able to handle it long term. 
really made that way. <laughs> I know it can never replicate a, a room with a thundering sound system and, and, you know, sweaty people dancing, but do you enjoy playing the online medium and are you going to continue to do that? Or Yeah, um, I actually was planning to do it before it became really popular in the lockdown. And I'd actually bought the cameras at the time the lockdown was started. And I think Digweed did one a week before I was. And I was like, shit, Dig even Digweed's doing it from home. Wow. Yeah. And, and I was like, damn, he's beat me. Do you know what I mean? I, I, <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, yeah, I'm just going to do him every Saturday, you know, and just yeah. really, really enjoyed it. I had a lo load of regulars coming on and just saying hello. And there was loads of banter and la laughs and fun. And it, and it really kept me kind of like in a sort of gig mode, but a home gig mode. I had a routine where Wednesday I was sorting out my records. Thursday night I would do a practice mix. So, and then, then decide, oh, this one doesn't work or that. I wanted to play more like that. And then by Friday I was refining the show. And then Saturday I just basically played the records in a, in a you know, the sort of rough order that I'd already planned and i did that for 11 12, 11 or 12 shows i think so yeah i really really enjoyed it and and i will continue it you know and i want to get guests once we can safely have friends around i've got loads of local mates that that we will have a laugh and we'll just have a spontaneous live stream and, and we'll just have a few drinks and we always play really weird music when we get together so we're going to do a few of those you know so yeah, there's loads of ideas in the pipeline and I will be continuing it. You know, I mean, I have to say, I've I've seen more international artists that, you know, exactly. that I would probably not get to see unless I went to a festival, which aren't really my thing. Exactly, um, same as me. I think it's a great way for people to see how you can basically present your style and your music to them without worrying about a dance floor. You yeah. don't have to think, oh, I'm going to lose them on this one or, uh, you know, this is what they like, so I'm just going to play this style. People didn't like it. Tough shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I really enjoy them, and I, I think it's been a saviour for, for all of us, really. You know, and, and like you say, people have got closer to DJs that they've been fans of closer than ever before. <laughs> agreed, agreed. Yeah. So, you know, we mentioned Digweed, and, and I, I, like many of my listeners, probably came to know you through your early releases on Bedrock, and then, um, you know, Sasha and, and John caning all your tunes. So, I believe kind of shortly after that, you took over for Howells as warm-up duties for Bedrock's, uh, John's Bedrock Nights at Heaven. So, how did that relationship start, and, you know, how did you meet those guys, and, and what really effect did it have on your career? Yeah, I mean... If I start sort of way back, um, I, I've had local friends who have got been promoters for a long time. And um, they used to do the odd Northern Exposure Tour uh, with Sasha and Digweed here in Southampton. And one time, last minute, my mate said, Phil, you can warm up for them. And I'm like, what? Really? <laughs> he said, yeah, you, you can warm up. So that was when I first kind of met Sasha and Digweed. But I was like a nobody then. You know, I was just, I don't think I'd released any music. I just had the chance to warm up for Sasha and Digweed at a Northern Exposure night. So that was kind of how I met them. And then we used to do these boat parties from Southampton, uh, which we used to get them on as well. Um, so we gradually sort of, he knew who I was, but didn't really know who I was, if you know. Right, I mean. yeah. 
Uh, and then we used to go to the London Bedrocks as well as clubbers, which was every first Thursday of the month, which was absolutely amazing. Digweed really had a balance of breaks up in one room. Uh, and then um, the main room was always a huge guest, huge guest from Danny Tanaglia, Mr. C. You know, they, they were endless. Anthony Papper, you know, and I just used to do the warm up. But yeah, basically how it happened was um, uh, I know Howes was doing it and I think he had to dj somewhere else or he got offered a gig somewhere else so and i think i had been signed to bedrock already with with my futurized fears track and um yeah digweed called me up and said oh what are you doing this friday and i'm <laughs> like uh don't know and he said do you want to warm up in brighton for me uh three hour set and i'm like yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i did that and i think he came down a little bit early to see how i did and I, I was always really, really respectful to him and what he was going to do. Uh, that, and even if people didn't like how low I was keeping it, I was deliberately keeping it low. You know, there's slow. an art to the warm up. That... Yeah, I often annoyed people when they were like, "Come on, let's have it," and I'm like, "No, Digweed's going to have it." And and I always knew exactly what BPM he wanted me to to leave it on. And only the last two or three tracks were a bit more energy, let's say. And and, and um, he really loved what I did and said, um, I, I want you to take over from da Danny Howes in London. I think Danny Howes was then on the G Global Underground album or something, and he was suddenly DJing around the world. And it just happened, you know, before I knew it, I was warming up in London and Brighton. Uh, but people didn't like me at first. And, mm -hmm. and it was at the beginning of the message boards and people were like who is this Moonface? we want danny house and i got absolutely slated really yeah at the start the london crowd crowd was really really hard and it took me probably a year before people started to realize what i was about i wasn't danny house i wasn't going to copy danny house i was me and i was much more electronic uh you know, boards of Canada sort of style, really weird. The first hour was, I, I didn't sometimes play, play any beats for the first half an hour, you know, so, so yeah, so it took people a long time to get used to me. And then gradually I got more and more gigs around the world from that. And I had a hardcore base of people who absolutely loved what I did. I remember Pole Folder mm -hmm. come over from Belgium with his gang and be there right at the start to hear me. And, you know, I know he had a couple of big tracks on Bedrock and that, and we used to get on awesome. So so just because of the hardcore base that I had of people that were accepting me for who I am, I just fed off that, you know, and I just stuck to my ground. And, and then, you know, I was always very respectful to the DJ. I never, ever, I never played a massive hit or anything. Do you know what I mean? I, I always set it up perfectly for, for the main guests. So when the main guests come on, their first record was like, go <laughs> right know, and that was it <laughs> tell us a little bit about this mix you put together and, and you know again for me it was it was a total surprise that of what i've heard from you but i think it speaks to your wide range of influences and your keen ability to really build a set that crosses genres and uh i think you even included a few of your new tracks correct yes i did yeah um, yeah, again, I, I was really listening to some of your shows and it was kind of old school but new school at the same time. Real lots of energy, there were snare rolls and things just kicking off. Anyway, when you did ask me, I kind of knew what style I wanted to go for. 
and I wanted to keep it deep and uh, housey and just you know a bit old school and a bit new school again but um, I just grabbed loads of stuff and then refined it a little bit and uh, yeah and then included two of my new tracks in it so so yeah but again I love playing different styles you know I've never ever just been locked into one style you know so are there any other standout tracks on there that you'd put attention on really i just love the housey vibe to start with and the vocal stuff and then moving through to the more sort of i think we, when we were chatting on facebook the j tripwire you know style yeah it was that dubby uh it was on blue days i think that's it yeah, yeah that style and that seemed to fit well with my new track. And then there's another one, a Time Writer track, uh, uh, I'm a Freak for Music, which mm-hmm. I used to drop all the time. And that kind of fitted in. And there, and then, uh, yeah, just just happened. <laughs> so, well, yeah, it's it's yeah. brilliant. It's it's a wonderful journey. And for mine, I think for this, I've gone actually kind of electro breaks. So it's awesome. well, cool. Uh, any other final thoughts or upcoming projects or shout outs? Yeah, I've just done a remix, which I'm just in the final stages of for Paul Sawyer. I don't know if you've heard of Paul Sawyer. He's been a long-time friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, he asked me to do a Jan Johnson remix of his. You know, oh, cool. Jan Johnson, you remember uh, she Old did Skydive, pro- Take Me By The Hand, which was, um, that's a kind of vocally thing, which I'm not that known for. And I've tried to make it a little bit more dance floor other than that, you know, just working on live streams, you know, whenever I can. So Okay, well, thanks again for being on the show. I wish you and your family health and happiness and all the best for the new album. Excellent. Thank you for having me. Uh, please check that out on Bandcamp. I'll have all the links in the post and in my stories and the track listing below. Okay, let's get into the music. You are listening to an exclusive new mix from UK's Moonface here on Rico's Cafe. Stay tuned after that for a new one from me. I'm your host, DJ Inc., and you are listening to Rico's Cafe, episode 27, featuring Phil Moonface Thompson. Enjoy.
Okay, thanks again to my guest Moonface for that wonderful journey. Next up is a brand new hour of warehouse-inspired house techno and electro from me, DJ Inc. Enjoy. Tonight, we come together bound by our faith with genuine respect and inheriting the legacy of a great party. This is not a perfect party. We are not a perfect people, yet we are called uh, to a perfect mission.
It's all out. 